Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast today. The city and the province at odds over COVID second wave, an update on the Adam Strong trial, and Stephen Del Duca, the leader of Ontario's Liberals, has some advice for Doug Ford. Let's get to it. I have a warning to begin the program today, a warning that the following information I am about to impart is utterly and completely meaningless. There were 548 cases in Ontario of COVID-19 in the past 24 hours. Meaningless. That is the release of the information, of course, that we get each and every day here in the province of Ontario, updating the province about where we are with the coronavirus. But when you look at that number, keep in mind this. We shut down testing centers on Sunday and Monday. They're by appointment only now. All in an attempt to try and deal with a growing backlog. So the 548 is meaningless. That number probably is pertinent to what? Six, seven days ago? Who knows? Who knows? So we're flying blind. Here's the numbers that do count. 42,000 tests. That's a good number. 55,000 pending. So that pending number is coming down. What the province has done to stop people going to the assessment centers, that is doing what they hoped, which is clearing up that backlog. And hopefully soon, I won't have to begin the program each and every day by telling you that the case number that you're seeing reported is utterly meaningless. Here's another worrying number. Hospitalizations up 16 up 16. The number of hospitalizations, people in hospital, have doubled in pretty much the past 10 days. The ICU numbers are down by two. Here's another sobering number, an increase of seven deaths in the past 24 hours. And we look at the Toronto numbers, 201 cases in Toronto, Peel 90, Ottawa 62. So, it's obvious that we are in the midst of a big surge. And great. At the very time that we're dealing with this, and we're dealing with a situation where the numbers don't mean anything, we have an open schism between the city and the province of Ontario. Doug Ford standing by. Did things get a little loosey-goosey? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Things are getting <laughs> things are getting a bit loosey goosey all over the place, including in this program. <laughs> Doug Ford, the things are getting a bit loosey goosey between the medical authorities. We have medical authorities on one side saying shut it down, and then you have the province on the other hand saying, Well, hold hey, ho. We have a growing chasm between financial health and public health. And trying to bridge this growing rift is Doug Ford, one foot on each ledge, like a man caught between the dock and a canoe which is slowly drifting away. Splash. Did things get a little loosey-goosey? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. They got a little loosey-goosey. That's where we are right now. And I have... You may not believe this, but I do have a great deal of understanding for the predicament that Ford finds himself in because he is beset on all sides here. 
you have the city of Toronto, Dr. Eileen Davila, saying, I recommend that right now we do a number of things in the city of Toronto. I need provincial help for this. Can't do it on my own. Need the province to do it. And included in those recommendations, perhaps the most impactful will be prohibiting indoor dining in the city of Toronto for four weeks. You know, restaurant owners who have spent a lot of money putting in plexiglass and all kinds of uh, public health measures that they said that they were told, this is what you need to do, not so happy with this. Here is Darham Vij, who is the co-owner of Strattinger's, which is a bar in Leslieville in Toronto. You're going to shut us down every way? Then why did you open us? Why didn't you find a solution? Every opening, it's not just like I lock the door and I go home and I come back the next day. You tell me a month later I can open and go back. I got perishables there. I got a staff who doesn't want to come back. I got a staff who found another job or don't want to work anymore. Or they're terrified of working. I mean, consequences of shutting down is not turning on and off the goddamn light switch. Sorry. That is the co-owner of Strattinger's, a bar in Leslieville. So you have that perspective. On the other side, you have the hospital association, you have a number of doctors, you have the opposition parties, including the leader of the Liberal Party in Ontario, Stephen Del Duca, put out a letter today calling on the government to follow what Dr. Davila is asking for. And Stephen Del Duca will join us in a few moments. But, so why not do what the good doctor in Toronto is asking for? Doug Ford? I can't make a willy-nilly decision and just say I'm, I'm closing everything down and ruin thousands and thousands of people's livelihoods and, and, and their life. So show us the evidence, hardcore evidence. That is Doug Ford yesterday. I can't just willy-nilly shut down these bars and restaurants. Show me the evidence, except for there has been evidence provided to the Premier between September 20th and the 26th, 44% of Toronto outbreaks involved restaurants, bars, and entertainment venues. And two cases at Young Warehouse and Regulars Bar created a combined 2,300 possible exposures. That is exactly the evidence that Dr. Eileen Davila, the Medical Officer of Health for Toronto, has forwarded to the province of Ontario. So what Ford is saying is that that evidence, it's not that he doesn't have data, it's not that he doesn't have evidence, it's just that the evidence he has is not convincing. Well, what about the positivity numbers? You know what the positivity numbers are, right? That's the number, it's, it's very simple, the percentage of tests that are coming back positive. And basically, the, the benchmark, the WHO says anything over five, you got to shut everything down. Many jurisdictions say three is the benchmark. Anything over 3% positivity rate is troublesome. And yesterday on the program, you heard here, if you were with us, uh, you heard from a doctor who works in an ER who got his hands on some localized data that showed that there were portions of the city where it was double digits. And that is confirmed in the Toronto Star this morning. The Star also getting their hands on some of the data that we reported here yesterday saying that there are four areas in Toronto with positivity rates over 10%. They're all in the city's northwest corner, Weston and Finch, Shepherd and Jane, Lawrence and Keel. So if that is the data, 
if the, there's the data, so that data is not enough. Is is that what Doug Ford is saying? Is it Dr. Williams? Is it the Ontario Medical Officer of Health? Because remember, he is the guy that's giving the advice to Doug Ford. I, so can we just try and understand here, why is it that the evidence that Toronto has put forward is not enough for the province to do what is being asked? Here's a question. <laughs> Here's Dr. Williams. Go ahead, Doc. Try and explain to me why it is that you're not following the request of the doctor in Toronto. I know Dr. Davila was concerned that you want to take even more extensive measures, as noted in her communications. Uh, in that, we had said we will continue to look at that with our public health measures table. We want to see what the impact was thus far with the to processes put in place. We're continuing to ask them to give more data to make sure that it supports any further steps so we can handle that. And then looking at uh, aspects of what can they do in Toronto? What can we do? What can they do in Ottawa? He goes on, that is Dr. David Williams yesterday at the update, the daily update. Uh, he is, of course, the chief medical official in the province of Ontario. Uh, what he's saying there is we're waiting to see uh, about the impact of the measures that the province has taken. Uh, he continues on like that for, and no word of a lie, two minutes because I timed it. He barely breathes. Like I, I struggled to find a point where I could cut that. He just barely just goes on. He barely breathes. And then after two minutes, I think we actually get an answer here. So those discussions are continuing. That's pretty much what he's saying, is that they're still talking about it. Things are getting a little goosey up here, a little loosey-goosey. Doug, yeah, they did. Yeah. Things are getting a little loosey-goosey up in here. So what, what the doctor in charge of all of this is saying is we're going to wait to see what the numbers tell us. Oh, here we come full circle right back to the beginning. The numbers, they're meaningless. So now we're watching meaningless numbers to inform us as to whether or not we're going to go ahead and impose more restrictions while other data is saying we have a positivity well, well beyond any kind of measure where we need to shut things down in portions of the city of Toronto. Things are getting a little loosey-goosey up in here. It is so often portrayed in movies and on television, it's also become, almost become a cliche. The detectives sit down in an interrogation room and they try and cajole or get their person to be able, their, their subject to be able to open up about whatever it is that they're accused of. But in real life, it is very much different. And today, in an Oshawa courtroom, we are getting an inside look at some of the interrogation techniques that police use. And we're getting that in the trial of Adam Strong. Mr. Strong has pleaded not guilty to two counts of first-degree murder in the deaths of Roy Hache and Candace Fitzpatrick, both teenagers who vanished from downtown Oshawa, Rory, in late August of 2017, Candace 
in 2008. And a warning, some of what follows may be disturbing to some listeners. Our Catherine McDonald is our global crime reporter and is covering this case and joins me on the line. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Alan. What are you uh, seeing in court today? So we are watching uh, this interrogation video that was done in November 2018, 11 months after Adam Strong was arrested uh, for doing an indignity to a human body. Um, and that was that in December of 2017, that was the original arrest. He gave a, a, an initial interview, a three-hour interview, but he didn't say much. Uh, this time, he's doing an interrogation, or an interview with a polygraph expert named Detective Paul Mitten. Uh, uh, and this detective... Um, it tells him right off the top, he says, uh, the reason I'm here and not the other two guys, because Adam Strong asks, is that he says they didn't do very well. And Adam says that he's not going to say anything. He knows his rights to remain silent. He's not going to talk about the cases. Uh, and so they talk about hunting. Uh, they talk about uh, Adam Strong's love for scuba diving, for kiting. Uh, he, and then he s- starts to tell uh, this detective how he hasn't had a good meal in 11 months. And Maybe, maybe you could get me a, a good meal. And so the detective uh, has someone go off to Wendy's and fetch him a meal. And eventually he gets him a cigarette. And, and uh, Adam Strong, we see him smoking a cigarette right in the interview room. And um, this guy is taking his time. And slowly he asks about uh, Rory and uh, the remains in the apartment. Because as you remember last week, uh, we, we learned from the, the call from the plumber that they had found flesh in the pipes of, of the apartment where he lived in downtown Oshawa. And that's where he uh, went. Suddenly he sort of says, uh, yeah, I, I dismembered her. And he uses other words, quite vile and disturbing terminology. Um, and uh, he, he admits that uh, he did dispose of her. And uh, that when today he says um, he says to the detective when when the, it was Christmas and when when the toilet backed up and the neighbor said they were going to call the plumber, he, he said, uh, he just, I, the detective says, did you think about, like, running? And he says, I, I didn't know what to do. But he, he knew, I mean, he didn't do anything, and, and uh, he was arrested. It seems like now Adam is at the point where he is willing to admit that, uh, that he, he dismembered Rory, but he doesn't want to take any responsibility for the murder of either of these girls. Um, he says to the detective something like, you know, like you got me on the on the doing an indignity charge, but I, I feel like you're just throwing these charges at me after 11 months to see if they'll stick. And the detective says, "Look, we have a team of people working on this. I can tell you that's not what we're doing here." Um, and then it, it seems like Adam also talks about wanting. Uh, he says, "You know, I feel like um, I I've spoke to a lawyer, not my lawyer, another lawyer who says I have a lot of cards here and I have to play my cards well." And the detective sort of says, "Well, what do you mean by that?" And um, he says, "Well, you know, I'd like." He goes, right now, if I get done for an indignity, we're looking at a couple of years. But if I get out, out of jail, he said, I, I, it's not, it, it could be worse because a lot of people don't, will want to see me dead. So he's, he's sort of inferring to the detective, maybe we can make some kind of deal here where I could have a comfortable life in jail. You know, like uh, Internet. And the detective says, I, I don't know if that's going to happen. But they continually seem to... Uh, you know, break up the interrogation. The detective, uh, you know, Adam will say, yeah, I went, uh, I went, uh, you know, I, I flew, I went out of a plane, I jumped out of a plane four times. And the d- detective wants to tell, ask him about that. Oh, where'd you do that? And so there, he's really making him feel like he's his friend. And he's, the, the, um, is it, does the strong sort of not even have a sense that he's being interrogated almost? Well, no, he does say at one point, he says, I feel like I've already said too much. And the officer continually reminds him, you know, you're right. You know, and every time, you know, he says, uh, 
you, you know, you know, I'm not making you say any of this. You know, you're right. And, uh, you know, it's like he, he's dying to tell him. Uh, he also denies that he cares about the media attention, which I think a lot of people think he, he, he's enjoying. Uh, he says he's not doing this for the media attention. But he's, he's definitely playing a game with this officer. He's, he's giving him clues. Uh, he's saying, I can tell you. And he, he actually, he admits that he met Candace. This is just coming out now, that he did meet her. He can't remember where he met her. He said it was so long ago. But he, he's teasing the detective. He says, I can tell you that if there was a camera at my apartment, there would be video of, of both Rory and Candace coming and going on their own every time. And the detective goes, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't make sense because... They uh, clearly at some point, uh, these women didn't leave on their own. He says, trust me when I tell you, if I told you the story, it would all make sense. And so he's, 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 he's teasing the detective a lot. He's trying to um, sort of dangle these pieces in front of him. And the, and, the, and the detective is saying, oh, this is a puzzle. And he goes, I've been an interrogator for 15 years, he says, but this is one of the you know, most fascinating cases I've ever had. And he's really making Adam Strong feel like he's, he's a special person. Catherine, really, um, what really what do we know about the defense here? As as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Mr. Strong has pleaded not guilty to two counts. We have, uh, as we have reported previously, we have a, a number of admissions from yeah. Mr. Strong. Uh, do we have a sense of what the defense is trying to rest its case on? I do believe the defense is going to make an application to have this second interrogation video thrown out. Uh, it's tried to have other uh, utterances thrown out. The defense tried to get the ones thrown out that he made the night of his arrest. Uh, the judge denied that. I, I do believe uh, the defense is going to say this 11-hour video was oppressive. It was too long. And I understand that that is an argument that's been made before. So I think that is, well, you know, because there's no jury, we're seeing this video. And there's a good chance that the defense is hoping that this video will not be um, evidence that can be admissible in court. Has, has the defense tried to put a publication ban on it? I'm, a, I'm somewhat surprised that I understand, no. of course, that there's no jury, but right. I'm somewhat surprised that we can report this. Yeah, no, there's there's no publication ban on this, uh, but it but it may be found not to be admissible, in which case, uh, you know, the judge will try uh, the facts on the evidence that is admissible, and, and this particular interrogation may not be admissible. And there are are there more interrogation videos to come after this one, or is this the last one? I, I'm under the under. I, I believe this is the last interrogation video, so I, I think this is it. But this is going to go until tomorrow, at least. And we won't actually have that exhibit to show people on Global Tonight because we can't get access to the exhibit until it's it's finished showing court. So th- it's a little challenging, but uh, we're going to try our best. Right, and then uh, as this unfolds and basically once it's finished playing to the judge then it becomes a public document because but does the judge not have to first rule its admissibility before releasing it as a public document uh well that that's something i don't know we i haven't i have yet to hear the defense make this uh argument to, but yeah I, if, if they're arguing to have it thrown out then you're right it may not be released it, it but may it, not. I, I do believe it, it is a public document once it's been shown in court but you're right if, if the judge rules it's inadmissible it may not be released yeah, that's, that's so interesting. Um, just a, a quick final question, Catherine. Um, I know that you have uh, covered this case from the beginning, uh, and you have a, a relationship with uh, the families of the victims. I just, I, I know this must be extraordinarily difficult for them to watch. Oh, it's it's painful. It's uh, very disturbing. Um, they're leaving the courthouse in tears. Uh, they have to get up and leave at points. Uh, he he is crude. 
uh, in his in what he's saying. Uh, he's at one point today he actually apologized. He said, "If you can let the fam- the mother and father of Rory know that I'm really sorry. I know I know it's hard to believe, but I really feel badly." And the family, this is hard for the family to hear this when he's he's also admitting in another breath that that he's responsible for the dismembering of their child. Terrible. Catherine McDonald covering a difficult case in Oshawa, the trial of Adam Strom. Catherine, always great to have you on. Thank you so much for your reporting. Thanks for having me. How to sum up the current relationship between the medical establishment around the province of Ontario, the various local medical officers of health in the central command table, and the province, and especially the city of Toronto. Doug Ford, I think, how would you summarize it? Did things get a little loosey-goosey? Yeah, they did. Yeah, things are a little loosey-goosey, I think I might say, especially when you talk about the fact that the medical officer of Toronto wants the province to impose harsher measures. And Dr. Eileen DeVilla is not alone. There are other groups also calling on the province to act, including the opposition and the Ontario Liberal Party. Stephen Del Duca is the leader of the Ontario Liberals and joins me on the line. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Alan. Hope you're keeping well. I, I am. Why is it that you think that bars and restaurants should be shut down in the city of Toronto for 28 days? Yeah, so listen, nobody in Ontario, least of all me, wants us to end up at another lockdown across the board. We've seen over the last number of days that the case counts have been climbing in Toronto, Peel, and Ottawa. I think that this is a case where as tough as the decision is to make, I think if we show Doug Ford shows leadership on this right now and makes this decision, uh, while at the same time providing economic relief to those small business entrepreneurs that would be adversely affected over the next 28 days, it's the best way to stave off another potential full lockdown later on. Uh, And I think that there are a number of medical experts, public health leaders who are making a similar request and, uh, and I sincerely hope that Doug Ford will take it seriously and do the right thing. In the legislature today, the leader of the NDP, Andrea Horvath, was pressing the Premier on this very issue. Here is the Premier's response. We take everyone's advice. I respect the OHA, respect the nurses, respect all the information. I even respect the NDP and the Liberals when they come up with constructive ideas. Mr. Speaker... I can't sit back without seeing proper evidence. And they're supposed to be a party of helping the little guy. They want me to shut down restaurants that these families have put their life savings in. That is Doug Ford in the legislature this morning, accusing the NDP of wanting to ruin the livelihood of small businesses. And I would assume Stephen Del Duca, who is on the line, that the premier would extend that to the Liberal Party. Do you... Uh, how do you respond to that? Well, first of all, you know, I've heard Doug Ford say repeatedly that he takes the he takes all of the advice, he listens to his command table, he talks to his chief medical officer of health. The challenge that I have is that for months now, Doug Ford has not told anybody, hasn't told you, Alan, hasn't told me, hasn't told the people of Ontario exactly who's on his command table. And he also hasn't told us what their recommendations are. So we have no clue, in fact, who Doug Ford is really listening to because he refuses to share what he's hearing from Dr. David Williams and what he's hearing from the rest of his command table. For all we know, there is no command table, because he won't tell people who's on it, he won't tell us transparently what those recommendations look and sound like. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical expert, 
but between the Ontario Hospital Association, Toronto's Chief Medical Officer of Health, and just everyday people who see the case counts climbing in Toronto Peel, in particular in Ottawa, there's something more that needs to be done. And as for supporting small business owners, listen, Alan, my mom, for more than a decade, ran her own store at Toronto St. Lawrence Market. I know firsthand what kind of effort it takes to keep a small business floating. It's why I've stressed that if we close down for 28 days in order to stave off a broader lockdown, which I think is the right thing to do, Doug Ford has to stop hoarding the cash, the billions of federal dollars that he's sitting on and refusing to spend, and help those small business entrepreneurs weather this storm uh, for the greater good. I, I, I want to talk more about small business and restaurants in just a second, but you, just, you mentioned the health table and you mentioned Dr. Williams. Is that not just a red herring? Because Dr. Williams is right there. In those press conferences, he's right there with Dr. Barbara Yaffe, you know, several times a week. I mean, you know, fair enough, it's difficult to understand what it is he's saying half the time. But, you know, this 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 obsession with who's on the table, I don't understand what that gets us. Okay, so first of all, I would say Ontarians in the midst of a pandemic crisis would like more transparency and not less. That's number one. Number two, even if I could for a second say, sure, who sits at the table is not as relevant. Why not share the recommendations? Why not actually say, look, this is where we are right now. Have to but Dr. Williams is right there with the recommendations. But, but right Dr. there. Williams and, but sure, but Dr. Williams and others, I mean, are they are they alone in making these recommendations? He's the guy in charge. The table? Sure, and Dr. DeVille is the person in charge at the City of Toronto. Ottawa has their own officer, chief officer, medical officer of health. And we all see, look, the numbers don't lie. The numbers haven't been going down. The message coming from Queen's Park from Doug Ford is completely confusing. Just last week alone, I think we saw two, three, maybe four changes to the way you go about getting your testing. Now you have to do it by appointment. Then it was closed down for a couple of days. School kids should do it this way. No, wait a second. They should do it a different way. This this is all a mess because there hasn't been clarity. There hasn't been leadership. And the asks that I'm making for, for things like, for example, share the recommendations with us, these are easy. This is easy stuff to do. So what's Doug Ford hiding? What's he afraid of? Who's he really listening to? And we don't know those answers. Well, he's supposed to be listening to Dr. Williams. And, and, and doc, you know, I, it, it, it's almost like a, like a caucus discussion. You're just like, well, well, you know, what did you disagree with internally within caucus? Well, there's a reason you don't no, release that information. Same thing at the health table. Alan, this is not a caucus meeting. This is a supposed command table in the midst of a crisis. You're asking, you're asking is, the province to say, hey, we have dissension at the table itself. Someone I'm has curious. to make a decision, and that's Dr. Williams. So I'm, I'm curious to know what the recommendations are. And I think, again, in the midst of a crisis, if not too much for the 15 million people who live in this province to ask from, for transparency from their premier. And it's really mind-boggling to me that it's so difficult for him to share those recommendations. Regardless... We see the case counts climbing, and we see the premier taking no meaningful action. In fact, he's actually planting the seeds of more confusion and less clarity in the public with each passing day. So people don't know what they're doing. People don't know what they're supposed to do for Thanksgiving, and it's only days away. This is, it's, it's insane, and it's a mess, and it's because Doug Ford is not leading. Well, listen, I, you know, I started my program yesterday saying precisely that it's a, it's a mess. So I'm, I'm not going to challenge you on the mess and the communications and, and we'll leave behind the table other than to say, I'm not certain that gets us anywhere, but I want to play this for you because here's a reaction from a co-owner of a restaurant in Leslieville talking about 
the push from Dr. Davila to have in-restaurant eating uh, shut down for 21 days. Here's the reaction. You're going to shut us down every way? Then why did you open us? Why didn't you find a solution? Every opening, it's not just like I lock the door and I go home and I come back the next day. You tell me a month later I can open and go back. I got perishables there. I got a staff who doesn't want to come back. I have a staff who found another job or don't want to work anymore. Or they're terrified of working. I mean, consequences of shutting down is not turning on and off the goddamn light switch. Sorry. That is Aram Vish, who is the co-owner of Strategers in Leslieville. On the line, Stephen Del Duca, the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. Stephen, your reaction to that? Listen, I can hear, the, frankly, the pain and the anguish in his voice, and I don't blame him. And I, again, I said this earlier in this call. My mother was a small business owner at the St. Lawrence Market running her own establishment, and it was tough. Day after day after day was tough. It's never easy to be a small business entrepreneur, and it's particularly difficult in the food and service and hospitality industry in the midst of a pandemic that's effectively wiped out hundreds or come close to wiping out hundreds, if not thousands, of businesses. So I get it. But the last thing I want to do for the people of Toronto, Peel, Ottawa, and Ontario is say that we missed the mark in the short term and in two, three, four weeks, potentially, we have to go into a full lockdown because we didn't take action up front. But I want to stress, I don't think business owners like the gentleman that you just played the tape for uh, should be left to their own devices. I think government needs to step up. In this case, the provincial government needs to step up and provide the kind of relief that's needed to make sure they can stay afloat through the next three or four weeks while we do a targeted sort of surgical lockdown of things like in-restaurant dining, and so we can come out on the other side without a full lockdown, and that business owner can find a way to thrive on the other side. And I think there's a way to do that, but it actually requires making tough decisions, and it requires that Doug Ford stop hoarding, literally, the billions of dollars he's refused to spend. Stephen Del Duca, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for being on the program once again. Thanks, Alan. Take care. That is Stephen Del Duca, who is the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, echoing a call from... Eileen Davila, who is the head doctor in the city of Toronto, saying that we need tougher measures and we need to eliminate things like in-restaurant dining immediately. That is the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch The Alan Carter Show weekdays beginning at noon.